Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the old show here, you can always give me a call on the listener hotline. Uh, that number, 303-832-0217. And of course, you could always contact me on any of the contact links that are in the uh, description of this fine program. And a rating would also be appreciated on whatever uh, app or platform or whatever they call it you're listening to this on. Uh, in just a bit, I'm going to be speaking with uh, somebody, again, that's going to make the show much more high-minded than I make it every every time that, that I'm here. I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Patricia Mokhtarian, and uh, she is a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Georgia Tech, and we're going to be talking about telecommuting, and really what telecommuting means to us now and in the future, as so many people are still staying home from work. I was playing in this uh, charity golf tournament the other day, and I was with these two insurance guys, and they are back in the office, but they were telling me how most of the uh, lower-level people all want to stay home, and they do not want to come back. They have no desire to come back. And now it's a, a wrestling match between the management, who says, we have to watch you and do your work, uh, uh, between uh, some managers that are saying that, and other managers saying, look, they're, they're doing great. They're actually more productive than they were when they were here at the office. Why do we have to keep watching them every single second? Let them work from home. Let them work where they're happy. And so it's an interesting uh, push and pull between employees and employers and where you're going to work. I've been back at the TV station for about a month now, and we have a second wave of people coming back to the station in another week, and then the third and final wave in another month. So it'll be interesting to see how that uh, affects our daily <laughs> work life there at the uh, at the TV station. But anyway, uh, Dr. Mokhtarian has been studying telecommuting for longer than I've been studying transportation, and that's a long, long time. Uh, it'll be really interesting to hear how she thinks telecommuting is going to change, uh, especially traffic patterns and commuting in general on our roads, and if and if work from home is sustainable. Uh, I'll be calling her here on uh, Zoom in just a little bit, so uh, that'll be coming up. Uh, but first, back in, on episode 200 of this very fine program, uh, I talked with our ace reporter, uh, Russell Haythorn, about the Employee Traffic Reduction Program, E-TRIP is what we like to call it. And it, it's here, the, the state of Colorado was looking at this program to require large employers and to incentivize transportation methods other than driving your own car. Now, the state last week came out and said that they would make the program voluntarily, and then two days later, they killed it altogether and ended any consideration of this proposal in any form. So it, it was first big news that they said, well, well we're going to make this voluntary, and then it was even bigger news when they just two days later said, uh, no thanks, we're not going to do this at all, it's over. Uh, and they said they decided to kill it after extensive outreach to the 4,600 businesses that could have been affected by such a rule. In other words, the businesses said, we can't absorb this kind of cost that's going to come with a program like this. And, and if you wouldn't mind, just back off a little bit. Um, <laughs> if we want to do it, we'll do it. If we don't want to do it, we won't do it. But just back off a little bit. Uh, it, it, and, and, and the state officials last summer began examining 
this creation of a program that would require employees with with a hundred or more workers uh, working on site to make plans that would help reduce single occupancy vehicle use by employees by about 25% in a couple of years and by 40% by mid-2025. Now, it doesn't mean that a private employer can't make changes on their own. They just certainly can, and, and, they, and, and some will, but forcing a company to do it is, is, is I, th- I think, what some companies were saying is, is overreach, and, and it's not going to happen. It's, it's still a very relevant topic. You can go back and check out that episode number 200. It's in the link in the description of this show. And um, it's, it's not, in my gut feeling says, it's not dead yet, uh, even though it's on hold for now. But uh, it, it's going to be interesting to, uh, to see what happens and if it comes back in some other um, I, I, you know, form or, or sense or whatever. Uh, I, I really started my radio traffic career uh, – a long time ago, when I was working at 850 KOA Radio here in Denver, and actually our first traffic reports were really when I was doing the overnight news, and this is way before like traffic services and all that stuff that you hear on radio now, um, it, it, we, I, I would get this fax from, I, I can't even re- remember where it was from, but it was basically a list of all these major construction uh, projects that were going on on the major interstates in the major cities around the country. And overnight on 850 KOA, you can listen to that radio station because it's a 50,000 watt clear signal across America. You can listen to it all across America. I was on that uh, Broncos trip when I, I drove an RV from Denver to Miami for that Miami Super Bowl for the Broncos, the last one for John Elway. And I was I'm not kidding. I was in uh, right there on the border of uh, Mississippi and Alabama, and I could hear the radio station at night as clear as if I was sitting in the studio. I mean, it was, it, it, <laughs> it's amazing. Anyway, so because it has such a great radio signal, I, I would read some of these traffic issues from around the country, and it was it, that, I think that's really what started my, my radio traffic career, and then I was in the traffic helicopter, and, and, and the rest is history. Uh, that's why it was sad to me when I read that AA Roadwatch UK is no longer going to be broadcasting the latest road traffic reports on Irish radio after 32 years of providing the real-time information to all these drivers. Uh, they're going to discontinue the service effective immediately. Uh, they still say they're going to issue maybe some traffic updates on their social media channels and their website, and, and it's it's a little sad that that at least one group of uh, broadcasters is is uh, stopping radio traffic reports. They began their first radio broadcast in Ireland in in 1989, and since then it it really has been a reliable resource for people traveling around Ireland and. And uh, getting some morning and evening bulletins and, and finding out what the road conditions are. Um, the managing editor of AA Insurance uh, for in, in uh, Ireland there acknowledged that many listeners will miss those traffic reports, but, but says that the company feels that now is a good time to move on. Saying, quote, we have decided to move away from this service and instead focus on Growing other areas of our business, the raft of new GPS technologies and traffic information sources means a wealth of detail available to motorists from various sources. 
And then he added, we will still offer travel, in, travel information, route planners, emergency advice, and reporting via our uh, AA Ireland website and AA app. I don't know if that m- means my days are numbered. I don't want to think so. But, but I also think that, yes, there are a lot of people who are using their GPS, their Google Maps, their Apple Maps. Don't use Apple Maps. Uh, their ways on their phones while they're driving to get where they're wanting to go and see what the traffic updates are. But but there are still so many that don't. My wife is one of them. And then not only that, you don't get the context as you do from listening to a radio report or the immediacy as you would get from, from listening to a radio report. Because on a Google map or on Waze, you just see that it's there. You might not see that it's been an incident, a crash, a, a whatever has been cleared. But you will get that from a radio report. My wife doesn't check any of this stuff at all. I, I, I have to check it for her. And if I don't and she gets stuck in a traffic jam, it's my fault. I, I, I think the real problem here is, is, is that, that people need context. That's what it is. They need the information and the context to really know what it's all about. I think that's what I, at least I give on, on the television side. So before you leave the house, here is all the information. And I, I, I tell people, I think this one's going to be cleared up in five or 10 or 15 minutes. So if you're just about to leave the house, head this way, it's going to be better. Or if I think this, this road is, is really messed up, try to use one of the side streets. It's going to save you some time, but sometimes getting into a traffic jam on the highway is actually a faster option than trying to use some of the side streets just because of the way traffic uh, 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 traffic lights and, and way traffic flow on some of the side streets works out. So anyway, I hope my days are not numbered on, uh, on TV. Yeah, well, <laughs> you never know anyway in this business whether it's going to be uh, whether it's going to be on or off. And then, and then maybe I'd have to deal with uh, working from home again. Uh, in a whole different role, or maybe I could do this uh, kind of uh, job in in a in a different uh, in a different way uh, again from home. And because we all know that that COVID has really changed the way some people work, and, and that has changed our commuting, both on the roads and with public transit. Now, will these train changes be permanent, or will we eventually go back to the way it was before COVID? So joining me now to talk all about this is Dr. Patricia Mokhtarian, and Dr. Mokhtarian is a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Georgia Tech. She's been studying telecommuting longer than I've been covering transportation, and that's a very, very long time. Dr. Mokhtarian, welcome to the program, and thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. So you have been covering the effects of telecommuting for over 40 years. Not that any of us really wanted to go through a pandemic, but as a researcher, you really couldn't have asked for any better situation for research, a pandemic that shut down the world that forced nearly everyone to have to telecommute. Sure. I, you know, as you say, we wouldn't wish it on anyone, but since it has happened, it's certainly a bonanza for research. And there's lots of people out there who are you know, studying it assiduously to see what happened during the pandemic, what's going to happen afterwards. That's really the question in everyone's mind, I think. Have you used this time while you presumably have been working at home to do a lot more research about telecommuting? 
I have, uh, partly because we've gotten some funding to do so. That, you know, takes money. So uh, we have done a survey and collected some data of our own, but we're also monitoring other studies that I'm aware of and sometimes peripherally involved in around the country. So as I say, there's a lot of data collection and analysis going on as we speak. In your previous research, you, you cite past events over the years like, like riots and bombings, natural disasters, extreme weather events as reasons to boost telecommuting. However, in those examples, there was really never the expectation that you couldn't go back to your normal life soon afterward, even if you were directly affected, except for maybe 9-11, except if you, if you didn't live in those areas. Th- that wasn't the case with COVID, as, as everyone in the country was affected. Everyone around the world really was, was affected, no matter where you lived. And many workers were thinking last spring, and some maybe still the case now, they're working from home, this is my new life, maybe for the foreseeable future. Right. So some of the things that distinguish this extreme event from all the ones that came before it are its spatial breadth and its temporal length, if you will. So whereas, uh, you know, an earthquake might affect things for a few weeks or maybe months, uh, the Olympics are another good example during which, you know, practically every Olympics since the 1984 in Los Angeles, um, teleworking has been promoted as a traffic uh, mitigation strategy. Um, but the, that's a finite time period and people say, okay, we can do anything for two weeks and after that go back to normal. Um, but again, what's different now is that everybody had to do it, quote unquote, although of course everybody's not everybody. We can come back to that. Um, but certainly it suddenly became okay to do it. So that's been part of the, uh, the difference is that, you know, it's no longer looked down on necessarily. So work from home is no longer automatically shirk from home. Uh, but rather the assumption is, because we've been demonstrating it for 18 months, that you can work effectively from home. And so people have invested or organizations have invested in the technology with which to do it. And that investment is still there. So, you know, there are a number of reasons to think why this might be different than extreme events that have come before. And, and in, the, in the past, I, I think the main arguments for telecommuting, really promoting it, were environmental reasons, it, using less gas, cleaner air, uh, fewer cars. But now it seems that the push to go to telecommuting, at least in the immediate future, is coming from employees, the people that are now working at home and have been for the last 18 months or so, wanting that work-life balance. Two things here. One, it seems like this is a major shift for the reason in telecommuting. And do you see employees being maybe the major driver going forward to push telecommuting maybe in a larger aspect than, than we've seen in years past? I think teleworking has always had kind of this three-pronged push, if you will, or motivations. I saw it as a win-win-win situation from the beginning, and most um, consultants and proponents of teleworking would say the same. Employees have always seen uh, the benefits of it, Um, and, you know, teleworking um, advocates were promoting the benefits for employers as well. So, you know, there's a reason why it's continued to grow year after year. Uh, many corporations have seen it in their best interest. The federal government's had a large program, many state governments and so forth. 
Uh, and then obviously the societal interest in reducing traffic, congestion, improving air quality, emissions, et cetera. So again, it seems like a win-win-win. You know, why haven't more more of it go? Why hasn't more of it gone on? Uh, is a good question. I think now, again, it's been demonstrated over the past uh, 18 months that it can work. So employees, I think, have a, a stronger position, bargaining position, because uh, it's already been proven. And as we've all seen in the news, the job market might be a bit tighter uh, than before. And so there's a bit more bargaining power again on the part of employees. So going forward, I think we'll see that uh, being perhaps a more prominent drive than before, but it's always been there. I'm speaking with Dr. Patricia Mokhtarian, professor of civil and environmental engineering at Georgia Tech. We're talking about telecommuting and what it really means to us now and in the future. Interestingly enough, I was playing in a charity golf tournament the other day, and I was with these two managers who work for this large insurance company. And they said that they're back in the office. However, most of the lower-level employees are still working from home, and there is a lot of pushback between management employees management, some saying that they want to have the employees back because they have to keep an eye on them. And and then there's other managers saying, look, they're, they're doing great. They've actually been more productive over this last 18 months than they have been ever, ever before. Let them do what they're doing. And the employees are saying, look, we're, we're doing fine. I'm, I'm happy being home. So it, it looks like, as we were just talking, that there could be this push and pull between employees and employers and drive that telecommuting forward. That's exactly right. I think there will be a bit of a tug of war uh, with managers saying, how will I know they're really working? Even though 18 months of evidence might have uh, demonstrated, but will that continue and so forth? And employees saying, of course, we are working, we've been doing it that way. So uh, I think there'll be this transition period with a lot of kind of churn, if you will, in what's allowed, what's expected, what's demanded. And we're gonna settle into some kind of new equilibrium, but it's not clear where we're going to settle. I suspect that employees might not be able to end up doing it as much as they want to and think they should be able to effectively. I think managers are going to you know, realize the downsides of it from a you know, organization effectiveness standpoint. And we've already seen some you know, very, um, impactful decisions that everybody has to come back to the office or else and so forth. So again, there'll be this back and forth. Um, there's always going to be pros and cons. And I think the challenge is to try to find something that is reasonably optimal for everyone. One size is never going to fit all. And I think managers often kind of struggle with you know, I know Susie can do a good job teleworking, but I'm not so sure about Karen over here. And so how can I let Susie do it, but not Karen? And so those kinds of issues um, tend to rear their ugly heads before too long and um, end up sometimes damaging everyone's ability to do it. You made a prediction back in May of 2020 that the post-COVID levels of teleworking will slowly decrease as the pandemic ends basically to pre-COVID levels. Do you still believe that or do you see more telework in the future compared to a world that never saw the pandemic? I don't know if I ever said it would decrease entirely back to pre-COVID levels, although that has 
more or less historically been the pattern, but again, for all the reasons we've been discussing, I fully expected and still do expect uh, the new equilibrium, if you will, to be higher than it was before the pandemic. The question in my mind has always been how much higher. So I do expect it to have dropped back you know, more than half of what it was uh, at the peak. So, you know, I'm trying to look at what's the difference between the pre-COVID amount and the peak during COVID as kind of that gain that we had during the pandemic. And where in that interval are we going to fall back to? Will we lose 80% of the gain, 50% of the gain, 10% of the gain? Um, you know, current suggestions are uh, we might keep more than half of it, but we're going to lose a big chunk of it. So that's really the issue for me. Yeah, this was a slide I saw. You did a talk, and it was on uh, a YouTube video where you did a talk, and then you took some questions, and it was a graph that showed a pretty sharp rise up and then a little, <laughs> basically a ski slope down uh, as your prediction of what, what it would be. Yeah, that was my probability distribution that was basically suggesting I think there's a much higher probability we'll end up near the pre-COVID end of the spectrum, but near is not at. Uh, and so we're bas I'm basically suggesting that, yeah, we'll, we'll lose a lot of the gain, um, but, you know, we'll still keep a lot of it as well. Let's tie this in to commuting, because a lot of people believe that telecommuting, at least in the past, one of the reasons for it was to get fewer people on the roads, keep fewer people from getting uh, out of their house and, and keep them in or keep them in their house rather uh, and uh, get fewer people on the roads and, and thin out the traffic, increase the, uh, uh, tell the, the commute times, you know, all the benefits of, of commuting with fewer people on the roads. You've looked at how telecommuting impacts traffic levels. And I find it interesting that even before the COVID shutdown, that work at home had increased to the point that it actually surpassed riding on transit. So is this going to be an issue where transit's really going to be affected or more car drivers are going to be affected? Who's going to win or lose as we go forward with, with more people telecommuting? Right. And to clarify the statistic, those are census data or American Community Survey data on the journey to work. And the census basically asked, how did you usually get to work last week? And work from home is one of the options together with driving alone, carpooling, transit and so forth. So in 2019, the work from home share of commuting, if you will, as the usual commute mode exceeded that of transit nationwide and probably in most uh, metropolitan areas, except for the most transit rich. Um, so that was kind of a shock wave uh, for a lot of people. <laughs> and, uh, and I must say, one of the things that concerns me about the pandemic is what are the medium to longer term effects on transit going to be? Because certainly anecdotally, we've seen um, people move farther away from the, the central business district to probably lower density places with bigger houses that have home offices uh, and therefore are probably less well served by transit. They may have bought a car because they were afraid to ride transit during the pandemic. And now that they've got a car, they're going to use it. And so I fear that there's going to be a semi-lasting hit on transit ridership 
uh, that's going to take quite a while to recover, especially considering that the background trend in transit ridership has been a declining one for a number of years. So um, that is an issue. And if when people do go back to work, even if it's not as frequent as before, but now it's in cars instead of on transit, the impact on transportation, on, on vehicle travel might be a wash um, or close to it. It's interesting to me when I when I see people on transit now, one, they still, because of the mask mandate, they still have to wear a mask on a train or a bus uh, or an airplane. And, and we're seeing people get into fights in airports because of that. Uh, I haven't seen much of that on, on local transit, uh, but it's still uh, uh, an issue for some people because they're not used to having their mask or using their mask uh, when they're out and about on just a regular day-to-day basis. But it seems that transit, I think, is going to lag when people do start coming back just because uh, it, it was lagging before and, and it continues to st- – I would much rather be in my car with my own uh, radio and, and have all the stuff that I need to carry in my car. And then if I need to go run some errands after work, it's easy for me to do that. It's not so easy to do that if I'm trying to catch two or three buses uh, back home. Right. And that's always been transit's dilemma, if you will. You know, it cannot, in most cases, provide a level of service that's comparable to that of the automobile. And there are tons of reasons for that and a long history behind it. Uh, So, you know, I think we've we've got a public policy dilemma with respect to transit. Arguably, if it didn't exist, we would need to invent it because we need some form of transportation for people who can't drive. Um, We need some collective means of transportation that's more sustainable. Um, You know, picture Manhattan without transit and, you know, it's not even feasible, let alone sustainable. So, you know, uh, central business districts of major cities have to have transit service, but you know, transit organ transit operators struggle to both keep the choice riders, as we call it, happy. You know, those who have a choice, you need to provide a pretty good service in order for them to decide it's worth, you know, getting out of their cushy car and and taking a transfer or two. Um, but at the same time, if you privilege the suburban routes that, you know, go to the lower density areas uh, at the expense of bus service for the congested inner core of the city, then, you know, you're disadvantaging your captive riders um, to benefit the more affluent choice riders. So that's always um, a problem, and it's not clear, you know, the, the answers aren't simple, let's put it that way. And typically, the people who are in the lower income professions can't work from home. I mean, there are, there are a lot of jobs that will never be telecommutable. Uh, I, I, if I can make up that as <laughs> a word, uh, a plumber or an electrician, they can't fix my pipes or, or my wires from their house. They have to come to me. Uh, there will be a lot of jobs that are service jobs that will never be telecommutable. And so there will always be the need, right, for transit and for people to be out there on the roads. Correct. And, you know, the plumber and electrician probably need their vehicle because they got a lot of stuff to cart around. But, you know, you have plenty of um, custodial workers or, um, you know, restaurant workers, hotel workers, etc., um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, and even, you know, healthcare workers, right, who may be fairly highly paid, but uh, they still can't do their job from home. At least I wouldn't want my surgeon <laughs> to be remote controlling 
the knife, the scalpel. Uh, so it can be done, but still. <laughs> um, so yeah, and again, that's yet another reason that we need transit is that not everyone can take advantage of uh, what many of us have been able to do for the last 18 months. I'm joined by Dr. Patricia Mokhtarian. She's a professor of civil and environmental engineering at Georgia Tech. We're talking about telecommuting, what it means to your commute, what it means to my commute, and commuting in the future. And it's interesting, you touched on it a little bit, where people can work when they're telecommuting farther away from a city center. We've heard of extreme cases where people do extreme commuting, a couple hours each direction to a city center. Well, if you can and have the ability to do teleworking, those cities who typically have a lower cost of life and a slower pace of life, those become in play because you could live well outside, a couple hours outside a major city, and then reap the benefits of having a small town life, but still get a big town paycheck. Correct. Um, now, you know, some employers are hip to that, uh, you know, ploy, if you will, and saying, well, if you're going to live in Nebraska, we're not going to pay you Manhattan wages kind of a thing. Uh, so, you know, the salary or, you know, the financial implications might not be as lucrative as uh, hoped for or expected. And, uh, you know, it, I think it may tend to be a niche still. I mean, it will probably continue to grow. And frankly, from a research standpoint, that's one area we don't know nearly enough about. I'm dying to have good data on how much of this extreme telecommuting is going on. How often do people actually make a commute who live, you know, seriously far uh, from their workplace, quote unquote. And I'm also interested in the sustainability implications. You know, if I make three flights a year uh, to a headquarters that's, you know, 800 miles away, that's probably a bigger carbon footprint than a 20-mile round-trip commute every single workday of the year in a car. So, you know, are we even doing worse things to the environment by allowing, you know, more long distance teleworking to happen could very well be um, on net. Interesting. You, you say that, especially between states, uh, somebody, I, I heard the story that somebody at our company, Scripps Broadcasting, we have TV stations all around the country. And there are some states where we don't have TV stations, but other states we do. Well, one person wanted to live in a state where we do have a TV station and work in and work for us here in, in Colorado. He wanted to stay in Arizona. And so there were tax implications there because he was working for a company that's a national company that they have one, a business in Arizona, also one in Colorado, and they couldn't really figure out the tax issue was going to be a major problem. Who gets the income taxes, Arizona or Colorado? How do they pay? So there were, there were issues there that would all have to be worked out, too, with people who are going to do this extreme teleworking between states or, uh, you know, in long distances. Absolutely. And it doesn't even have to be long distance. You know, there are issues with people who live in Connecticut and work in New York or New Jersey or whatever. So uh, I'm not an expert on that area, but I've read from time to time that it's a patchwork of uh, state laws. And, you know, one state wants the taxes, whether you um, live there or not, if you work there and the other state says, no, we should get them because you're living in our state. You know, so uh, I think there's a lot that still has to be worked out in that regard. And again, not just for long distance teleworking. But all of this could actually help with 
the regular commute. Obviously, telecommuting takes people off the road. Uh, but it, it, are there long-term remote jobs you think that will become available? Uh, I've seen, uh, you know, occasionally on my LinkedIn, they'll send me uh, jobs for this or that, uh, and it says, hey, this one's remote available, and this one's remote. It's it's becoming, I think, more of a norm, and that could translate into maybe less traffic on the roads in a long-term basis. It could. I have to admit I'm a bit skeptical. Um, first of all, I think long-distance teleworking, as I said a moment ago, is probably a niche market. I think most people value the social interaction at the workplace. They may value amenities either at the workplace itself or in the vicinity, like being able to walk to interesting restaurants for lunch or go shopping on your lunch hour or after work, you know, without hopping in the car to drive to a mall. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons why the workplace is a desirable place to be. And it's uh, borne out by the fact that most people who want to telework at all don't want to do so full time. They think, oh, one to three days a week might be about right. So they want to have a hybrid mode of working. So I feel like um, long distance teleworking will continue to be a fairly small minority, although again, I wish we had better data on how small. Um, and so if you're uh, still wanting to go to a workplace several times a week, you're probably not gonna be living hundreds of miles away from that workplace. Now, you know, even at the margin, if, if um, those trips are taken off the highways, then we have what Anthony Downs calls the triple convergence principle. As a transportation reporter, you might have heard of that. Um, it's the idea that anytime you add capacity to a congested transportation system and removing trips is basically adding capacity, then three forces kind of converge to reduce the benefit of that additional capacity. So that's the triple convergence. People change modes now suddenly, you know, with it being less congested, then driving becomes more, you know, desirable. They change departure time. So instead of leaving at the crack of dawn, they leave you know, at a more civilized hour, but they're still then contributing to the peak congestion. And they change routes instead of the, you know, longer uh, route on surface streets, uh, they go back to the freeway because now it's flowing more smoothly. So that it is quite common to end up with just as much congestion as before, only arguably more people are traveling and getting a higher benefit out of it. So maybe total welfare is increased, if, as the economists like to say. But do we notice a decrease in congestion? No, we do not. <laughs> so I'm pretty pessimistic about the medium to longer term uh, impacts on congestion. I really don't see it uh, that, you know, a year from now we'll be saying, yeah, so much better uh, than it ever was before. Uh, you know, people have a way of, and that's not even taking into account induced travel so that if suddenly it is free flow at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon on the area freeways, then people will suddenly have a lot more trips that they're willing to make because it's not going to take as long and be as arduous a trip as it used to be. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think congestion is a fact of life. It's been with us documented since ancient Roman times. Uh, so, it's hard to imagine that suddenly we'll solve that one. Whether you're in a chariot or a or a buggy or or your car, you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna be with a lot of them apparently. 
Indeed, indeed, yes. My guest is Dr. Patricia Mokhtarian, Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Georgia Tech, uh, talking all about telecommuting, what it means for us uh, now and in the future, and uh, what it means to traffic and transit uh, as we uh, continue past the pandemic. And people, I think, tend to drive faster, too, uh, when there are obviously fewer people uh, around. Like, that has been a staple here in the pandemic. And also, interestingly enough, as I've been studying this during the last 18 months, the way the traffic has shifted, and we'll talk about the morning and afternoon commute in, in just a minute, but it, it really traffic has shifted to the midday because people, it seems, that were getting stuff done in the morning and the afternoon, but the midday traffic from 9 or 10 o'clock to about 2 or 3 o'clock was much higher than it ever has been pre-COVID levels. And it's just been interesting to see how traffic patterns in that way and for the morning and afternoon commutes have really changed. They have. Now, again, I'm waiting to see what happens when schools go back to in being in session. So I have a feeling that a lot of those patterns will revert uh, to more traditional forms, if you will. Um, and so, again, I think we'll see this period of equilibration and people checking what does work and learning this doesn't work. And, you know, we may end up settling into pretty much a similar pattern to what we had. I, I wouldn't be surprised, let's put it that way. There's something, you know, I call it the dinner time imperative. You know, schools get out at whatever, 3, 3.30, maybe there's after school activities, but somebody's got to go home and fix dinner uh, or else you're just starving and want dinner by five, six o'clock. Um, you know, the morning, I think, Another thing we don't know as much about as I would like is partial day teleworking where people say, oh, yeah, I'll check email and do stuff at home in the morning and then go into the office at 10 or 11 or whatever. Um, that may also become much more common than I believe it to be right now. On the other hand, some people may say, you know what, that's pretty disruptive. It's kind of like a transfer on a transit trip. Uh, to kind of break up my train of thought and pack up and go in with an uncertain traffic condition at that time of day uh, and then resume, you know, my train of thought in the office. I'd just rather go in once in the, at the beginning and get it over with and be able to, you know, get some momentum for the rest of the day. So, you know, all of these things are possible and may increase uh, because of experimenting with them during the pandemic. But will they become the norm or really become as popular as you might think is still my question. I've always said that it will be tough to change that traditional morning and afternoon commute because, as you said, basically it's centered around schools. As a parent myself, you have to get your kids to school at a certain time, then you have to go to work, and then you're uh, stopping by your favorite coffee place on your way to work, right? And then you have to pick up your kid from school uh, in the afternoon and then fix dinner, as you were talking about. Uh, but you can have some commuters, if they're doing that, doing that partial telecommute, maybe coming in at a little bit of a later time after the traditional morning commute or maybe a little bit before the traditional afternoon or after-afternoon commute. You, you break up that traditional 8 to 5 or 9 to 6 work schedule, which will really loosen up when people can come and go from work, and that will change traffic patterns and commuting in, in, a, in a dramatic way. Absolutely. So again, I think it'll be really interesting to see how much of that happens, and I feel sure that it will whether it'll be sustained over time, whether we'll be able to detect it, 
you know, as opposed to other trips kind of springing up to fuel the, the peak again, uh, are still open questions, but exciting times for researchers, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and as a researcher, maybe, maybe you're not uh, into as much uh, predicting the future as, as looking back as what, as what has happened. But can you look at your your spyglass, your magic eight ball, a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, and 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 look at maybe are, are we going to be doing a lot more telecommuting, less, go back to the way it was pre-COVID levels, and be on that same track to you know ha- have it here and there, and and occasionally do it, but mostly just be like we were a year and a half ago. I think we'll continue to. Well, I think it will be. It will continue to be higher than it was a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I think we will have a quantum jump that may have been what the gr- the normal growth would have been like for another 10 or maybe even 20 years. So whether it will continue to I- increase beyond that quantum growth that the pandemic has brought us is something I'm not as sure about because what I do feel pretty strongly about based on those four decades is that it's not for everyone and that there are enough disadvantages to teleworking that it's never going to become the dominant way of working. And, And also again, the people who cannot do it as we've discussed before. So, you know, it's almost built in to be a minority share of occasions, of work occasions, that will be teleworked. Uh, it remains to be seen how many, but, you know, technology is another point. Sometimes people say, oh, but look how much better the technology's gotten over the years and how much easier or more effective we can be at teleworking. And that's true, but technology's never really been the binding constraint on the amount of teleworking that's gone on. Truthfully, as we've also discussed earlier, it's often the managers who uh, are a constraint on how much teleworking is allowed, but that's not always because of managers being, you know, obstructionists. Uh, There are often good uh, reasons for that, and again, I think most of us can appreciate the, the value of serendipity and the, you know, hallway encounters, the socialization, as well as professional interactions that occur when you're physically present that are simply much harder, if not impossible to generate when everyone's remote. So, you know, I think there's just a lot of built-in reasons that aren't going away why working together is uh, going to remain the dominant form of work for as long as I can imagine. Like, Like a mentorship. You, you can't really have a mentorship with somebody hanging out in my house. You have to be together, maybe in a, at a common workplace. Right. You know, years ago we were saying, oh, it's those, you know, 60s year old white haired manager types who, you know, don't know how to use a computer themselves. They're, they're the ones holding it back. And once they retire and those, you know, digital natives move into management positions, then teleworking is really going to take off. And, you know, that may be true to some extent, but one of the things that surprised me about the pandemic was the extent to which millennials and Gen Zs were less favorable toward teleworking than baby boomers and Gen Xers. 
And, you know, for logical reasons, exactly what you just said, you know, people who are lower on the career ladder and still need a bunch of mentoring and network, professional network development and so forth, you know, getting that remotely, especially if you just graduated college and started a new job, oh, good luck. You know, I just think it, you, you just need to be together for now, it doesn't have to be full time. So maybe three days a week will work just fine. Um, but again, that's, we need some of both. <laughs> and, and for most, for many people, it's going to predominantly be in office. Well, I appreciate your time very much. I, I grew up half of my life or part of my life in Atlanta. I uh, was I moved there in uh, back in 85. I went to finish out high school at North Springs High School there in Sandy Springs. And I, wa- I was actually planning to go to Georgia Tech, but then, uh, well, you know, because <laughs> I, I had pretty good math scores, but then I thought, well, I thought this TV thing was a radio broadcasting thing was going to work out for me. So I went to Georgia Southern instead. Uh, <laughs> I miss being at the varsity, which is right across the highway from you guys. And uh, getting a frosted orange and the onion rings, man, I could just taste it right now. Right. See, and you got to, you know, go to work to go there for lunch. At least most of us do. So um, another reason to be in the work. Oh, man. Yeah, there's there's nothing like the varsity. (laughs) It's the greatest place. Yeah, it's not great for you, but it it sure does taste good. So I uh, love me some varsity. Well, uh, Dr. Mokhtarian, uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, y- it was great insight. Appreciate all your expertise. And uh, it's it was wonderful to have you here on the show. Likewise. Thanks very much and um, appreciate it. Well, thank you again, uh, Dr. Mokhtarian. You can actually get her uh, information uh, and uh, link to uh, her uh, and all their studies and all that stuff right here in the description of the show. Just go down to the description, and her uh, link is right there. You know, I think I should have been a researcher. <laughs> maybe maybe there's still time. Maybe I can be one. Maybe that, that's what I, I would be if, if, I, uh, if I'm not a TV traffic guy anymore. Uh, I, I like studying things and, and researching things like uh, traffic stuff. Especially my driving you crazy traffic stories that I do every week. I, I actually got a really good one the other day asking me about uh, driving a right-hand drive car. So uh, this one person was was like a like a car that you would see in London or in Japan where they're driving on the right side. I uh, this person saw one in a uh, local uh, one of the little towns here around Metro Denver. Someone driving a Range Rover that had the steering wheel on the right side was wondering if it was legal to drive it here, and the short answer is yes. And then I started doing some research about it, and uh, I, I'll have all the <laughs> details for you next time because it's uh, it's pretty interesting. You can actually buy one. In, in part of my research, you can actually buy one right off the factory. Uh, you can actually order a car with the right-hand drive uh, already ready uh, for you to go. I don't I don't know why you would do that, but if you want, hey, boom, uh, you can do it. So I'll have all those details for you next time. Uh, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.